It was just always in the back of my mind that I was alone. We can be at church, or we can be at a wedding, or we can be in the middle of a restaurant surrounded by people and just crushed with this awareness of the fact that we are alone. Hey, welcome to another episode of Relate, Refresh, and Restore, a podcast committed to bringing stories of hope and insight to those on the front lines of Christian ministry. Our desire is for all of us to see, sense, and experience God's voice through their stories. And through these stories, we may see His hand and hear His voice in our lives. The Relate, Refresh, and Restore podcast is brought to you by Romans 12 Ministries, where we are wildly committed to transforming the church, one pastor, missionary, and ministry leader at a time. I kept hearing from people in the community about this man named Howard Tracy. And as I heard more about him, he intrigued me. You know, getting to church early on on Sunday mornings at like 6.30 and setting it up and serving people and greeting them, knowing them by name. I heard that he lost his wife suddenly almost two years ago, really from a routine surgery. And this is the man that my grandson would come home and, and, and share with me that this guy loves him. And so the more I heard about this guy, the more he intrigued me and I wanted to meet him. So I just reached out. I found his number, got his number, called him up, introduced myself and said, I would just like to meet you. And he did. He came into the office and I shook his hand. And right then I knew that this guy was different because he almost broke my hand in his handshake. This was a a tough warrior type of guy who had a tenderness about him. And so we spent 90 minutes where I just was a sponge, listening to his story, listening to how God grabbed him, listening to the ups and downs, his faith, his courage, uh, the tragedy that hit his family, uh, how he invests in people. And I got to tell you, it touched me. And I said, hey, would you be willing to come back and do a podcast? And he did. And I think you will be touched by his story. It really is a story of hope, and uh, it's going to touch your heart and soul. You know, Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And this was truly a tipping point for Howard and his story. Howard Tracy was married to his sweetie Joe for over 53 years, spent most of his career in sales, has two grown sons and three grandchildren. I'm David Town, the host of the Relate, Refresh, and Restore podcast. Well, Howard Tracy, thank you so much for coming in. Glad to be here. I really, David. I really do appreciate you you coming in. And um, you know, I guess I want to start off with there was a tragedy that hit the Tracy family almost two years ago. And can you walk us through that? Yeah, the brief story is that um, my sweetheart struggled with, among other things, heart problems, and um, her doctor here. In Tucson, said he'd done all that uh, he can do for her. But take heart, there's a group of doctors in Austin, Texas that handle cases just like your wife. And so we got on a plane, we flew to Austin, Texas, and she went through two surgical procedures, one on a Wednesday and the next one on a Thursday. And uh, those procedures uh, went textbook until they didn't. And an unfortunate incident on the operating table uh, on Thursday resulted in my sweetheart passing away about 2 o'clock on Friday morning, the 21st of August. 
And uh, so we went there expecting to come home on Sunday. We had our flights booked. We had a hotel booked because we had to stay in town uh, for a couple of days. And uh, I ended up coming home as a single man, having lost my wife of 53 years. And it was uh, a painful rearrangement of my life that I hadn't expected. Hmm. And that, that mistake on the operating table, they, I think you mentioned to me that the doctor or one of the doctors said that this was highly unusual. Yeah, the doctor that had treated Joe here had gotten a report from the doctor in Austin, and uh, Joe's doctor here said that the chances of this happening were the chances of all the nine planets lining up in a row along with the sun and the moon. In other words, that it, the chances of this happening were just minuscule microscopic and uh, in a strange kind of way I took consolation in that because I knew that God had ordained that her time has come mm. scriptures say that we're allotted three score and ten and my sweetheart was 71 or 72 years of age when she passed away mm. so um I came home, uh, a, a man that had been happily married for 53 years and had to reinvent my life. Hmm. Well, let's go back, because those 53 years of marriage, it wasn't all bliss, was it? Well, no, and <laughs> particularly if you talk to my wife, Joe. <laughs> but I, I love how the, that God kind of grabbed you uh, along the way yeah. and showed you some things. And I'd love to hear kind of how that has transformed you, your marriage, <laughs> and then how that's actually moved you forward even through this time of grief. Yeah, I, I was not a believer. Neither Joe nor I were believers uh, when we first got married. I was a reprobate. That's what I was. I was an absolute dirtbag. And I left my wife and my two-month-old baby boy in uh, the fall of 1973. And um, I'm not proud of that. But over the period of the next 10 or 12 months, every time I saw Joe, I was taking note of the fact that she was a different lady. She was more confident. She had more self-esteem. Things didn't rattle her as much. And I came to find out after Joe and I reconciled that year removed from me leaving my wife and my son that the difference was Jesus Christ. And uh, I saw in her a different woman. We're told that a man in Christ is a brand new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. And I was seeing somebody brand new, somebody that I was unfamiliar with. And Joe was very faithful to invite me to church. And um, I was considerate of her desire for me to join her at church, but I declined. But eventually I said yes and... I went to church, and I ended up coming to faith, <clears throat> not because I went to church, but because in Peter, one of Peter's epistles, it says, if you are married to someone that does not believe, if you'll live a quiet and godly life, they'll be won over. And that's what happened to me. Wow. 
You know, I've been called a lot of things over the years, but a dirt bag. I don't know if I've ever been called a dirt bag, but you actually left. Did you, or, or did you just like for a night, or when you say you left your family? Yeah, I left. You did. Yeah. In effect, I kicked them out of my life. And and that was because why? Because I was a reprobate, self-centered, arrogant, selfish. I was all of those things, and then some. Hmm. And um, looking back in retrospect, it's just appalling that I could have come to that conclusion. But I had that sense of who I was, and Joe and my beautiful son Stephen didn't factor into that. Wow. And so that was around age 28 when you came to Christ? Yes. And then there was a big breakthrough, what, 15 years into marriage? Yeah. Seven or eight years later, uh, ironically, I'm a paid vocational pastor, and I am in a, a bedroom that we were treating as our office. It was on the east side of the house. It was on a Tuesday morning, and the reason I know all those things is because the sun was flooding through the curtains into that east side bedroom, and I was sitting in a chair that was kind of caramel and cream-striped. And I knew all those details because in one moment, I'm who I was. And the next moment, I read Matthew 6, 21, where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. And God just stripped me naked. He revealed, I'm a paid vocational pastor, and I was still selfish and arrogant and Oh, I had all this misplaced self-confidence and uh, thought way too much of myself. And particularly with regard to Joe, he demonstrated to me how critical I had been as a husband, how I had misplaced my priorities. And I got up from that encounter with God on Tuesday morning in June of 19. 85, and I walked into Joe and I said, Honey, you have no reason to believe what I'm about to tell you, but God has just exposed me for what I am. This self-centered, arrogant, critical husband. And I'm not only sorry, but I'm going to spend the rest of my life demonstrating to you that you are the treasure of my heart. And I did that imperfectly in the beginning. But I believe that Joe would affirm the fact that I spent 35 years trying to live out that promise. So she saw a difference in you. Yes, but she was understandably skeptical. She was mistrustful. It's not that she didn't love me and I didn't love her. I just had all my priorities in the wrong place. So Joe had good reason to be mistrustful. But over time, I, I demonstrated that. And it was by God's grace that he showed me that and gave me the understanding of what that could look like to love her and to serve her and to honor her and to put her first in my life. And so I spent the next... 37 or 38 years of our marriage trying to live that out 
in front of her. And she had some health issues. You mentioned some heart issues along the way. Mm-hmm. She's a cancer survivor. She had a heart condition that just plagued her for decades. Uh, she had a whole host of miscellaneous health problems that just nagged her. And um, she felt always like our life was always about taking care of her needs. And in part because of that encounter we had in 1985, I'm able to tell you that one of the great joys of my life was to serve her in a way of caring for her and accommodating her health issues. And um, it didn't debilitate her and it didn't strip her of her ability to do anything, but you never knew when they were going to intrude into her life and her lifestyle. And for example, we couldn't travel very much for many years of our life because she never knew when her health problems were going to erupt out of nowhere. But I never took that as a um, a limitation. Just mean we had to alter how we lived out our marriage. Mm-hmm. And balancing two boys and growing up um, yeah. and now, and I guess my question is, with, with Joe, obviously she was instrumental in you coming to faith because you were watching her and how she had changed. Yeah. But were there other people coming alongside you and discipling you during this time or after? <clears throat> yeah, they. Uh, I have three mentors that were very significant in my life uh, as a new believer. And all of them that were much older than I was. And all of them were much wiser than I was. And all of them loved me. And they encouraged me, they exhorted me, they corrected me, they did all the things that good mentors would do. And they modeled for me then what I tried to model my life after now, coming alongside of men and encouraging them, correcting them, studying the scriptures together, asking ourselves the hard questions about what are the implications of this in our life? How is this to be lived out? James cautions us to not be mere hearers of the word, but and so deceive ourselves, by the way, but to do what it says. So I have the good fortune of working with a lot of men, and we always ask ourselves the question, so what? What now is God calling us to do? How do we live out our faith? And my marriage life in Joe was the crucible in which I learned what it meant to be obedient to God and to love my wife and to have my wife and my family in the right priority of my life. I'd like to go back. I'm just picturing you on an airplane coming back from Austin by yourself, getting off that plane, going to an empty home. Mm-hmm. and the emotions of that. Walk me through what you were dealing with at that point. Well, let me start with the trip back. We were in Austin. I was in Austin. And when Joe and I got separated in a busy place, I would look for her hair. She had a beautiful head of hair, and she was 5'11". So she stood out in a crowd And I found myself in Austin looking for her Mm -hmm. as just the impulse. Sure. 
and we get to Las Vegas. That was my layover. And I was so desperate to get home. So I walked up to the flight at the, the gate attendant, and I, I said, can I upgrade to a first-class seat? And she said that I could, and I asked what the costs of that were. She was, and she told me. I said, let me take that under advisement. <laughs> I was so eager, David, to get home to my boys that I walked back up and told her I was, I was going to upgrade, and she reminded me that I told her that I was trying to get home because we just had an emergency in the family. And she said, what, what is the emergency? And I told her I just lost my wife. And she turned around, she typed on her console, and she gave me an upgrade, and she said, that's on us. And I want to tell you, that was God's intervention because the idea of going home and having to stay on that plane any longer than I had to was just almost beyond my ability to cope. All I wanted to do was to get home to my sons. So we had a tearful reunion there in the airport, and we talked on the way home about what it was going to be like to live our life without mom. They dropped me off, and I went into the house, and I could smell Joe. And I was confronted with not just loneliness. It wasn't that. It was the aloneness without Joe. And that was a very difficult rearrangement of my life. I know I just said it, and I've said it to many, many people. It wasn't just that I was now alone but that I was alone without Joe. And it took a lot of time for me to adjust, if I ever really adjusted to be alone. You know, we've talked a little bit. I, I, I just put myself in your position. I'm not sure what I would do. I think there would be a tendency for me uh, to want to come back home, uh, but to get into that home, shut the door, draw the blinds, and just be quiet and alone for a long time. <clears throat> How did you deal with that? And, and Because I think you said that three months later you had men living in your home and yeah. you were discipling them. Yeah. Um, I think it was a result of men like my three mentors and other people along the way that instilled in me that the last thing you want to do when you have a tragedy or something unexpected happen, the last thing you want to do is make big decisions about what you're doing. And so I determined that I was going to try to re-enter the life that I was living as much as possible without Joe. And that included my commitment to my family, that included my commitment to my church, and it included continuing to meet with these men and young men that I meet with on a weekly basis, one-on-one -on -one and group Bible studies. So I continued to move in the direction that I had been going. My inertia <clears throat> had been sending me in that direction and I didn't want to stop that. I knew that would be a mistake. So I continued to do that. I did that mostly for me. 
but it's remarkable how many people have made observations about the fact that me continuing to do that had ministered to them, just the fact that I did it. And that was, that was very gratifying. Hmm. What were some comments that you heard or things that were not helpful during this time from people? David, I can't tell you that I had anybody offer me advice or say something that was painful or uncomfortable or unhelpful. Um, maybe that speaks to who I surround my life with. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> Most of the people that I talked to were good listeners. They were empathetic. They knew that I was working through the aloneness of being without my wife of 53 years. And they were, they just indulged me in that respect and allowed me time to work through that. Mm-hmm. You know, we've had a few guests on the podcast that have lost, have had sudden loss in their life, and they've shared with me that the hardest part of the day is at nighttime when they're getting ready for bed. What was the hardest time of the day or, or still is for you? Um, that time when I was awake, <clears throat> that was the hardest time. <laughs> you know, all the stuff that goes with losing your sweetheart of 53 years and clothes, jewelry, cosmetics, <clears throat> knickknacks, hand-me-downs, cars. I mean, all that stuff was in front of me. I had to deal with all that stuff. And I, I filled up my waking hours with stuff like that that had to be taken care of. But it was just always in the back of my mind that I was alone. I have a good friend, a dear friend of mine, who likewise has experienced loneliness. And we have traded off the story that we can be at church or we can be at a wedding or we can be in the middle of a restaurant surrounded by people and just crushed with this awareness of the fact that we are alone. And we've coined it, our word that we use is our aloneliness. It's, It's not just being lonely, but it's this pervasive sense of being alone without your life mate without someone to share your life with. And that was difficult. And nighttime is definitely a point where you feel that acutely. The silence. You're sitting at the kitchen table all by yourself. You're reading a book and she's not there. Or in the past where you say, I'm going to clean up and go to bed, and she would have said, well, I'm going to do that too. You, you're doing life, you're preparing for life, you're executing life, and you're doing it without that person that you've known and treasured. So going back to that hospital room, and I'm trying to picture that, where do you think, where was Jesus during that time? He tells us, and he told me then, that I'll never leave you or forsake you. Yea, though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, thou art with me. It's interesting you bring up the hospital room. 
because Joe spent many hours in looking back, many hours where she was dying. And I think she probably knew that. And I was in her room when she passed away. And the hospital staff left the room to give me some moments with Joe. And I gathered up all of our stuff, her stuff and my stuff. And I stood at the threshold of that door with a room behind us and the hallway in front of me. An empty, cold hallway at two o'clock in the morning. And I knew when I stepped over that threshold that I would never see her again. I was put into a, a life I just wasn't prepared for. But God was with me. As I walked down that hallway, there were hospital staff on both sides of those corridors. Anybody that's been in a hospital knows that. And I'm walking down that hallway, just sobbing inconsolably. And the staff are just gently peeling away, allowing me space to move through that corridor. And I got down to the car, and I was faced with going back to the hotel room all by myself. And the verse I whispered to Joe, the last conversation, if you want to call it that, that we had, I'd been invited into the room, and I don't know what to say to my wife. So I leaned down and I whispered, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I'll strengthen you and I'll help you. And I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And in the extremity of her life, at that moment, her response was, Amen. Amen. So I knew that Joe was, or that God was with me. And Joe knew at the midnight hour of her life that God was with her. I'm thinking of your, your family, your boys, their families, your grandkids. How are they doing? Well, it was very tearful. None of us were prepared for this. We had gone to this clinic, this hospital that treats patients like Joe, and we expected we'd come back and not just pick up life, but pick up life in a way that we hadn't known it for many years. So there was tearful adjustments. It's sobering when you bring your grandchildren and your sons and daughters over, and you start going through mom's things, and as if that reality has not struck you already. It just hits you full frontal that this is a new chapter of our lives. I think the way Joe lived her life is a testimony of how her kids responded. The idea that mom was 
with Christ was more than just words. There was a settled peace about the fact that mom, grandma, was now with him. It's not that she was just free of all the physical maladies that she had struggled with. It wasn't that she was free of all that, but that she was with him. The consummation of our hopes and dreams. Paul says if our hope for this if our hope in Christ is for this world only, we'll be pitied among all men. And Joe and our family has the settled assurance that our hope in Christ is not for this world only. Mm. That we'll, we'll one day see Joe, we'll one day see Mom, we'll one day see Grandma, but the love we'll experience there will eclipse anything that we ever experienced here. Mm. It'll be heavenly, pure, godlike, agape love. Amen. So be it. And that's Amen. what this po- podcast is about, stories of hope. So in the midst of this, and now we're two years into it, my question to you is, why do you get up in the morning? Well, the answer to that question is not any different than it was two years ago. I give up, I get up to serve him. It's not a platitude. I started most of my adult Christian life off with the idea that I present my body as a living, living sacrifice. And Henry Blackaby wrote this great book called Experiencing God, and the premise of that book is look for God at work around you, and you'll see him at work and join him in that. I'm not suggesting, by the way, that this is easy. It is simple, but it is not easy. For decades, my wife and I had a ministry. It was Howard and Joe. It was Howard and Joe at church. It was Howard and Joe at home when we hosted a ministry for young couples and young singles. And now it's not Howard and Joe. But my ministry here hadn't stopped just because Joe had gone home. And so I start every morning out with my quiet time, reading, studying, praying, and then later on in the day serving as I can. Uh, Howard Tracy, you are, you're something. I mean, our relationship is brand new because I just heard about you. And I called you out of the blue, introduced myself and said, I want to get to know you. And I just see Jesus in you and you intrigue me. And you are as sure an ambassador for Christ that I've ever seen. (laughs) And I just want to say thank you for, for coming in and just sharing your heart. Um, many times during this podcast, I've had tears, and uh, I just, what an example. And I just want to say thank God for you and your story. It's his story, not mine. Hmm. Ephesians <clears throat> says, as a prisoner of the Lord, live your life worthy of our calling. Hmm. I can do no less. Well, I guess my last question is this, is, What are you looking forward to? I pray several times every day these words almost identically. My God, you know the end from the beginning. And I'm on an adventure. I have a friend of mine 
that quotes a scene in The Hobbit where Bilbo Baggins is off on an adventure. And that's what every day is for me. It's an adventure. Never know what God has in mind. I just want to make myself available to whatever he has. Well, can we lock arms and go forward together? Amen to that. Let's do it. All right. Thanks so much. Well, beautiful people, thank you so much for listening to another podcast here at Romans 12. We're so grateful that you're listening, that you're passing on the podcast to those that you think might be interested, and that you're praying for us. We are coming alongside pastors, ministry leaders, missionaries, and their families day after day, week after week, because you know what? It is a tough, tough job. And if you could participate with us to continue with these podcasts, continue with supporting us financially, we sure would appreciate that. You can do that online at romans12ministries.org, and there's a donate button there, or give us a call at 520-982-5877, and we'd love to walk with you, talk with you, pray with you, but we are so grateful for our listeners. Have a great week. Thank you for joining us today at another episode of Relate, Refresh, and Restore, a podcast sponsored by Romans 12 Ministries. For more information on Romans 12 Ministries, visit us at romans12ministries.org or give us a call at 520-982-5877. May we all continue to be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer.